Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Indie Football Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the sports editor of The Independent, Ben Burrows, and columnist Tony Evans. And this week, we have gathered together to commemorate the death of Tottenham Hotspur. We are recording this podcast on Wednesday afternoon in the wake of Tottenham's 4-0 aggregate defeat by RB Leipzig, which means that Spurs are obviously now out of all three cup competitions, as well as seven points behind Chelsea in the race for Champions League football, and perhaps even more concerningly, just one point above North London rivals Arsenal. There's been so much fallout from the game in Germany. Um, We've all heard a lot of rumours and stories and speculation from various sources close to the club. Uh, But before we get into all of that, Tony, what did you make of the game last night? Well, I wasn't the least bit surprised, really. Um, When when you look at things, the Tottenham problems have been visible for more than a year. Uh, They were just disguised by that run to the Champions League final and combined with the injury crisis, we've reached the point where the best thing that could happen for the club is the coronavirus to, to hit real hard, stop the game being played in this country and uh, and basically give Tottenham some res- respite to, you know, for Harry Kane to recover. Was it was it the worst performance of, what, the season for Spurs, of, of the Mourinho era? The, the Brighton defeat under Pochettino was pretty bad, but I guess you can make a case that under Mourinho it's never really been worse than that. I mean, I guess the most damning indictment is it's quite hard to decide um, because there's been quite a few lows in this uh, run of them so far. Um, I mean, Mourinho set the table, hasn't he, all along that he said that he couldn't, he could only do one of Burnley or Leipzig this week, and it turns out he could do neither. Um, it is a bit overblown. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of teams would would uh, would happily have an injury crisis similar to Tottenham if it still meant you could turn out eight, nine, ten international players, clearly. But um, Leipzig are a quality side and they showed it again last night. And um, I mean, it was the tie was fairly done and dusted after 1-0 in the first leg anyway with the away goal. And as soon as they got the goal last night early on with Lloris letting it in, it was game over. And you, sort of, you could see it on the face of Mourinho on the sideline. Um, and and in, in the players themselves, they knew there was no way back. Yeah, I suppose the thing is that, you know, there's been a lot of people overreacting to to the defeat and a lot of people kind of getting incredibly worried about it. But do you think that the kind of the seeds for Tottenham's destruction were sown in that first leg when they played so defensively and and last night was was an inevitability really? Yeah, I mean they played defensively, but I mean the, the great Mourinho teams have you know have been they've set back, they've you know they've hit people on the break and they've made sure the opposition didn't get space and room. Mm-hmm. But that was a defensive performance at White Lane where it wasn't really working. They were lucky to get away with a one nil defeat and showing no ambition to, to get forward or very little ambition was a shocker. And that's what concerns me. I mean, Mourinho and obviously you've seen a lot of him over his career in, in this country and abroad, but his teams always had a plan. There was always something you could see what they were trying to do. Certainly 
in this Manchester United spell and his time at Tottenham, I haven't seen much evidence of a plan. Even when he's got away with it, people have, have raved about it. I mean, for example, uh, well, not go away with it, almost go away with it. People were uh, impressed by the performance against Liverpool when you know, sort of there was a few, sort of a late flurry from them when Liverpool got tired. But in the first half, they could have been put, put away 4 0. Mm. They didn't do anything to, to counter, they, they don't do anything to counter the opposition's strengths. And we saw that again last night, and we saw them white out lame for the first leg. You know, what did they do to try and stop Werner? Well, yeah, not much at all. I mean, poor Eric Dyer, what's happened to his career? Deli Ali as well. I, I guess the, the best bit of analysis I've heard on Spurs in recent weeks is Alex Tetty, the Norwich midfielder. He said that under Pochettino, they were so, they were so miserable to play against. You, you knew that they would be in your face, and yet now... He was shocked that Spurs were just completely standing off Norwich and let Norwich do whatever they want and, and kind of retreating and retreating. I mean, there's defensive football and there's defensive football, right? So, like, that that phrase is sort of inherently laced with being negative and being anti-football, but it doesn't have to be. Mm. Um, Simeone and, and, and Atletico in the first leg against Liverpool, that was defensive football done properly, where they had a plan. They were like, right, we'll try and score early. They came out the blocks really fast, hit Liverpool, did exactly what they wanted to do, score and then played actual defensive football where you stop the other team doing what they want to do. So Jan Oblak didn't have to have a save to make. That's defensive football. Mm. Just mm. hanging on for dear life and hoping that you'll that the opposition miss all their chances or your keeper has a worldie or whatever. That isn't defensive football. That's just sort of, that's kamikaze like going into a game to play that way. Um, and that's certainly what it felt like in that first few minutes uh, in the home game against Leipzig where they could have been 3 or 4 nil down after 90 seconds. Um, yeah, it's one thing sort of setting your team up to try and get a result. What that was in that first leg really wasn't that. It was almost like, yeah, like you said, it really did set the tone for the whole tie in that the second 90 minutes really, they obviously they have injuries and stuff, so there's only so much they could do in theory. They looked okay for exactly 10 minutes. Well, exactly, yeah. And it's then, and then as soon as they were exposed with a goal they shouldn't have conceded really, then that was it then. It was all over and you could see it. Um, in, the, in the setup beforehand, it was always likely to go that way if Leipzig got a goal and it's so it proved. I think that, that's a really good comparison with, uh, with Atletico because, you know, uh, under Pochettino, Tottenham were very, very niggly. They were terrible ones for leaving the foot in, running through, running through the man after the ball had gone. You know, they made life miserable for people. You know, they were a difficult side to play against. And now they're easy. And um it, it looks as if the it looks as if they're not interested, but clearly that that can't be true because every footballer they've got professional pride. You know, but they, they, they look as if they don't know what they're doing. And there were times when Mourinho was at United, you'd see the, the particularly game, a game at West Ham um, where the, they, they played five at the back of United and the players were actually looking at each other and saying, am I supposed to be here? What are we supposed to be doing? And Tottenham have got the same look about them. I mean, yeah, clearly the players care. Did you see um, Vertonghen after the game? Again, was pretty much nearly in tears on the bench, which is the second time that's happened. And, and you, you would think that's because he's kind of realised that that's his last Champions League run with Spurs. Um, Tony, when you mentioned Mourinho not really having a plan and Spurs not really having a plan, I guess something that showed that up last night is that Mourinho waited until the 80th minute to make a change. 
which was Gedson Fernandes for La Celso. And they, they didn't change anything. There was no formation change. There was no sort of tactical change. He just he just sat on his hands and waited. Well, yeah, and, and that was... I mean, Mourinho, when he arrived over here, was extremely creative in the way he handled things. He'd always have a schedule for changes. I mean, when he was at, at Chelsea, I mean, he'd do things like... Uh, he'd watch the opposition full-backs and he'd, see, he'd have people uh, watching them and, and check them when they stopped getting forward. So, you know, at the point they got tired. And then he'd switch wingers. You know, he'd put um, Robin on for Duff or vice versa. So he's always, he was always working on things like that, looking at weaknesses in the opposition and looking to exploit them and using changes, whatever time had come in the game, to do that. And last night, he was just, he looked like uh, he was sitting there dazzled and there was there, there was nothing he can do. Yes, he's had injury crisis. But again, when... Mourinho, I was best, would talk about all players at this level being very, very similar, apart from, uh, you know, the, the elite few. You know, if you had one or two of them in your team, you were laughing. But most players were similar. And so he felt he could win with almost any side, in, you know, in the Premier League um, and probably any side in Europe. Now, he looks as if that sort of ethos has disappeared from his thought process. And he's, oh, I've got injuries. What are we going to do here? I mean, you only ever change Spurs made after uh, Judson Fernandez came on was to bring on 18-year-old defender Malachi Fagan-Walcott with about two minutes left when they're 3-0 down. Uh, I mean, people said that, you know, this is a great occasion for him to make his debut and all stuff like this. What's the point in that? I mean, it is and it isn't, right? It's obviously it's what he's always dreamed of playing for Tottenham in a European game, but definitely not that way. <laughs> two minutes in a game you've already lost. I think it's the obvious thing is that it's... Jose making another point mm. in the most unsubtle um, Jose manner that he hasn't, he, in his view, he hasn't got the players that he needs um, to do what he wants to do. Um, speaking to people at Tottenham before he got the job, one of the reasons Mourinho got it was because he told Daniel Levy that he thought the squad didn't need any more <laughs> additions. So, I mean, we're only about two and a half months down the line from then. Um, and now he's He's gone without winning for the first in six matches the first time in his career, so it's clearly not going how he wants it to do. I think and it's he a, did get additions as well in Berg yeah, exactly, yeah. And he did. I mean, they've clearly they've been unfortunate. Any team losing Harry Kane, Son, and now Bergvine, that is tricky. Sissoko and Sissoko. It's it's clearly. I don't think anyone's pretending that when he says the injuries have hurt them, that isn't true. But you have a um, an obligation to do a better to do better with what you're given than this. I would say, you look at. Um, how Man United performed against City at the weekend. They had a plan, and we've, in this studio, have, have had plenty to say on Solskjaer over the last few months, but credit where credit's due, he had a plan. They're playing five at the back, but that isn't a negative five at the back in any way. That's that's using the players that he has to, the, to their strengths, playing players slightly out of position, um, still carrying a threat, playing Daniel James up front because they haven't got Rashford doing things like that. You don't see Mourinho sort of doing that sort of square pegs, round holes idea. He's almost sort of resigned to his fate, which the old Mourinho, which is a strange phrase because he's still, he's basically still the same guy. It's only 10 years or whatever, but the old Mourinho, you would never have seen him sort of fold his cards like he has over the last sort of three, four weeks, which is, it's, it's sad to see really. What's what's really uh, remarkable is that during the early years of the Pochettino era, the the fullbacks were the great strength of the team. They you know they they, they did they, they give them width, they give them a pace out wide, and they stretched the opposition. And then Kyle Walker moved to City, and everyone said how 
you know, unbelievable. The, the City had paid too much and Tottenham had come out of the deal better. And that probably marked the start of the long-term decline. Mm. And now Tottenham's fullbacks in an age where Liverpool are shown the fullbacks are the, the, the major tactical innovation of the past five years. Tottenham's fullbacks are just awful. What's yeah, Leipzig were really good last night. They yeah. pushed. They pushed the other team. Like, yeah. and, and Serge Aurier was had a direct hand in two of two of Leipzig's Precisely, goals. Precisely, yeah. And Mukiele, he's a very strong, uh, big fullback up against Ryan Sessegnon at for, uh, uh, like the the diagonal pass was just all day, mm. and mm. and clearly Nagelsmann had seen that straight away and knew that was coming. And yet, for some reason, Mourinho didn't, which is strange. But um. Yeah, it seems like it's sort of this this whole season feels like a write off now, which is which is wild really given there's still nine games to go and in a Premier League season that are that bar the top obviously is still fairly wide open for any team who wants to kind of put a run together. Um yeah, Spurs' this season feels done. Before we move on to the fallout, do you want to just say a quick word about Leipzig? Because I know you were very impressed and we're kind of doing well, yeah, them down a little bit. It's it's a weird one. I think in sort of, I'm not going to pretend to have watched all their Bundesliga games this season, but I think to a degree Tottenham have sort of lost out in the sort of perception stakes in that if Juventus or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich had done Tottenham 4-0 on aggregate, they would be the sort of wider... Um, agreed upon fact would be, oh, well, they're a much better team than us. So that's, that's how it's going to go. They're a European superpower. Whereas Leipzig are three, four points off by in the Bundesliga, know exactly what they're doing. Every single player across the board knows the system. You look at a guy like Angelino last night, who was dreadful for City at points last uh, this earlier this season. And he's gone in and within weeks of being under Nagelsmann, he knows exactly what he needs to do. And he was great last night. Mm. Um, They've got 11 players who all know their exact individual roles in a, in a more of a global system that they all know how to do. Nagelsmann's a superstar. And just because they're sort of not the name brand name, potentially I can see some, some certain fans might think, well, Tottenham shouldn't be losing to Leipzig. But if you actually look at it on the sort of balance of player of this season, um, they definitely should. And it's, the, it's sort of the something you mentioned earlier. It, the weird thing is that Tottenham, Tottenham were Leipzig of sort of, Last year, really, in a weird way. Um, they were the team who was shocked Europe, being a bit of an underdog with sort of lots of young players playing quite exciting football with a manager who knew what he wanted to do and um, had them all singing from the same hymn sheet and basically doing more than the sum of their parts. Mm. That's what Leipzig are doing now. I think, I think that's why it sticks because I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that Spurs fans see Leipzig as, a, as an inferior opponent. I think it's more that last season that was Tottenham and Tottenham were the team kind of upsetting well, yeah, Champions League finals. I guess it's sort of it's a thing they talk about in uh, the NFL quite a lot the sort of Super Bowl window opens and closes so you have sort of like a two three year period if you have a good quarterback or whatever and all these stars align you have you might have a chance of winning the big one and it sort of feels like Tottenham's window was open mm. for two three four years they had their shot of winning the Premier League winning a trophy maybe even winning the Champions League and they got very close last year and it feels like now that window is closed. Well, and, and the way the season's gone, basically the trade-off for Sack and Pochettino was these players are good enough. They should get in the Champions League if they can be energised and someone can bring them together again. The other option was to stick with Pochettino and change the players in the summer. It looks now like Tottenham made the wrong decision. Um, the fallout from last night has obviously been uh, particularly intense. Uh, just as one example, we've heard that a source close to the club has said that a group of senior Spurs players even confronted Mourinho after the match to question him on 
on his negative approach as well as his very public criticism of Tongi and Dombele. Um, I guess the first question to ask you guys is, are you that surprised that there's... Uh, there's rumblings in the dressing room. Oh, I reckon that'd be a very, very unhappy dressing room <laughs> last night. And I mean, it's not unusual for um, harsh words to be bandied about after games like that and for confrontations to take place. What will be interesting is what's said in the next two or three days when people have calmed down or, or <laughs> let it fester and, and, and where they go from here. Um, yeah, um, Mourinho doesn't take well to being confronted mm. by groups of players. Um, so that will play itself out over the next couple of days. But I'm hardly surprised because, again, when Mourinho arrived, there was a great sense among the players that, you know, Pochettino had run his course. People weren't listening to him anymore. But Mourinho was going to be a fresh voice, a fresh pair of eyes. And there was, there was guarded optimism. I mean, most players are guarded when... They think they're going to be managed by Mourinho, but there was guards as optimism. That's all evaporated. Uh, we should probably drill into the uh, Ndombele criticism a little bit more. But before we do, here is what Mourinho himself uh, had to say on Tottenham's record signing after the draw with Burnley last weekend. Because I don't want another question about the same story, um, I, I'm not going to run away. And I have to say that um, Tangi had enough time to come to a different level. I know that the Premier League is very difficult. I know that some players it takes takes time. Some players they take long time to adapt to a to a different league. But a player with his potential, with his responsibility, I think he has to give us more than he's giving us. And especially when you see the way Lucas Loselso players that uh, are playing every minute. I was expecting. Uh, I was expecting more in the first in the first half, but second half was was really good. Ben, do you think those are fair comments, or, or should Mourinho really keep problems like that behind closed doors? I mean, that's the sort of the weird thing. Something that Jamie Carragher touched on on Sky on Monday evening. It's sort of two pronged, isn't it? It's the fact that I mean, most people would agree that Ndombele's performance, particularly without the ball against Burnley, was nowhere near good enough, and as a high-profile player who came in for a big fee, which obviously isn't his fault, but it's the fact he should he should be open to criticism for if he doesn't deliver the performances which go with that. The flip side of that is, in this day and age, does it really play to be openly throwing your player under the bus um, live on television? I don't think it does anymore. And whether that's a Mourinho thing in that he might have think he might have been able to get away with that at Porto or. Chelsea with Joe Cole, say, but in more, in more recent years, at Man United with Paul Pogba and with Luke Shaw, he didn't get anywhere near the reaction that he wanted from that. I'm not really sure what he he's hoping to achieve by doing it in such a public fashion because, um, yeah, modern players don't seem to be sort of geared that way. And so, like, obviously, lots of stuff goes on behind closed doors, and surely that. Uh, conversation could have happened one-on-one -on -one or as a small group with your leadership group or whatever. It seems a weird thing to have done so publicly, really. Oh, it, well, I mean, 
the things he's saying about him in public <laughs> compared to the things he's saying about him in private. I mean, and Mourinho's always been a terrible one for that. Um, you know, when the when the tape recorders go off and the, the cameras shut down, he slaughtered players. I mean, um, uh, there was one particular instance I remember when he was talking about one of his former forwards, and when the when the, the mics were on, he says, "Oh, now he's he's coming into form. He's great. He's great. Everything switched off. He went, he's rubbish. I need to get rid of him. He's you know, and off he went, and and he is like that. He's and he's called." Out obviously significantly better plays than and Domley. I mean, remember he questioned Eden Hazard's heart on yeah. television, which you know, but it didn't work then. When he when he did it to Hazard, that would have been what 2016, 2015. It wasn't working then. Five years on, it's working even less. As Ben said, the players are different now. Do you think those days are completely over where you can criticise a player like that? I think there are individuals that you can get to and it will work for them. But I don't think the majority of players are like that. And and I think, funnily enough, the individuals who you're more likely to get to that way are probably the British players mm. who've got a sort of ingrained in their culture you know the, uh, but I, I, I don't think it's going to work at all I think uh, I think what's, what would work better is peer pressure in the dressing room but you know players don't like to see the teammates called out either so I, I just think it's the wrong strategy and especially when so many fingers can be pointed at Mourinho pointing them at Ndomley who, who hasn't been good enough but then again when, when he first arrived and the Tottenham fans were saying oh you know, you know, he'll make the difference. I must admit, I was watching him and I thought, hmm, really? Yeah. But I, I guess this is another example of where Mourinho's got it so wrong because most fans and most pundits and observers are kind of united in agreement that Ndombele hasn't been good enough for a, a club record signing. Mm. And so for Mourinho to then come out and, and attack him like this when everybody was already on the same sort of page is even more bizarre. Yeah, it doesn't really, yeah, it's not sort of outlandish enough to sort of have that weird sort of jarring effect that maybe that's what he's looking for. Yeah. I think the other thing to point out is that it's sort of, it works both ways. So if... Jurgen Klopp decided to come out and publicly criticise one of his Liverpool players, then that's going to hold a lot more weight because he's got a lot more credit in the bank. Mourinho hasn't got that mm. with that squad or with sort of football in general over the last two and a half, three years or so. I think if you've got, if Pep called out Raheem Sterling, say, you'd be like, well, okay, fair enough because mm. he's earned the right in a, in a weird way to say what he wants about his players. Mourinho in that dressing room hasn't. Yeah, and he's done it too often. Like you say, you know, it's um, I, I, over the years he's he's, he's done it so frequently. It, it kind of loses its impact. I mean, as, you know, as you say, Ben, it's a shock if Klopp or Guardiola slaughter a player. You know, the the the, the you know to be seismic. Well, yeah. So Pep's done it with Mendy, hasn't he, a few times mm. where he sort of just said, yeah, he's not. He's not where we need him to be, whether it's in fitness or discipline. He's incredibly or... careful with how he said yeah, that. Yeah, he, 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 he wasn't just he wasn't it wasn't a bus throwing in any way. It was sort of it was it was a pointed message to one of his players in the media, and yeah. so there is there, yeah, in a weird way, there is sort of a still a place for it in modern football, say. But you've got to do it in sort of quite a tactful manner, and clearly do it when you're in a position of. I mean, Pep's authority is total at City, and he's earned that. And Mendy wasn't delivering what he wanted to do, and he felt like this was the best way to try and get through to him, perhaps. And that was fine. But when you're going for a, a run of, well, at the time, five winless games, I don't really know why you think you can then sort of blame one, it was of, your, it, one of your four fit players. One of your four fit players, and, he's, and the way it was, it was also sort of the the thing that's not been mentioned was sort of how he also sort of threw 
Oliver skipping with it as well. That's mm. sort of a weird thing to do, where it's like he's, he was absolving a 19-year-old of all the blame, but he was still, by mentioning him at all, it was still it was a bit like, and you hooked him at half-time. So it's I don't really know, like we said, I don't really know what he was hoping to achieve. He's also given it a lot of kind of, he's repeatedly, he said um, last night how any of the players on Leipzig's bench would have <laughs> would have played for him. So he's been kind of slating the group for quite a while. Um, he's obviously uh, repeatedly pointed towards the um, the injury crisis and, and, and kind of blamed Spurs' failings on that. Um, we've touched upon it. Is that a valid excuse or does the fact that Spurs are, still, Spurs are still so awful at the back when it's their strikers that are injured. Does that kind of point towards the fact that you shouldn't really be hiding behind that? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, you can't have outstanding talent all the time. You can't have Harry Kane all the time. And if he gets injured, then, you know, that that's a problem for the team. But what you can do is organise a defence and you can get midfielders. You can get players who are less talented to perform roles that will minimise the impact of the opposition. And that's what Tottenham are doing. And that's what, you know, it's, um, you know, d- defenders are the, should be, not the full-backs of cheating now, but should be, um, you know, the, 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 the cheapest and easiest positions to fill and and in some ways the easiest to coach. You know, Mourinho used to do the old thing of, you know, sort of roping the legs together. So they moved as a unit. I'll tell you what, even if you tied these fellas at Tottenham together, they'd still get lost, wouldn't they, and go wandering? <laughs> well, it's, that's sort of like the most, con- in many ways, like one of the most concerning things is that they're sort of the, the if you sort of... A- Forget all the other stuff. The one thing you think you're getting with Mourinho is like an organised defensive team. Okay, yeah, we, we won't get beat every week, kind of thing. But like as has been mentioned before, like Toby Alderweireld sort of falling off a cliff. Tongan can't get in the team. Sanchez, I really Davinson Sanchez, I really thought Sanchez who was going to go to the next level. They but. spent an awful lot of money on, and is the perfect age to sort of take that next proper jump yeah. into being a quality defender. I don't know where he's gone, and it's sort of like. Tanganga's been, I think, one of the few positives of the whole season, really. But if you're relying on a, however old, 19-year-old um, left-sided centre-back to sort of save you, um, it sort of shows that, yeah, it's as, that's as damning an indictment of Mourinho's sort of tenure so far as any, is that they're conceding so many sloppy goals all the time. And like Lacelso has been a bright spot, but he can't run a midfield on his own. Um, and it's sort of all snowballing um, and getting worse by the week. Slightly off topic, but Tanganga gives me very strong Bentaleb slash Gwendouzi vibes where I just think he's serviceable. He's just a young player who's mm. who's okay. I don't really think he's going to be the next big thing. Yeah, yeah well, it, it, it always happens in times when things aren't going as well as you'd like. The young players come through, perhaps get elevated to mm. a status that they can't quite reach certainly at this stage and, and perhaps will never reach and you know it's very much the uh, the Arsenal syndrome isn't it you know it's well, I mean we should name it after Wenger and Wengerism <laughs> Okay time for a very quick break uh, when we get back we're going to be talking about the ways in which Tottenham can improve um, if there are any ways and what they should be aiming for in the uh, in the seasons ahead Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. This week we are talking about Tottenham Hotspur and their completely unpredictable problems under new manager Jose Mourinho. Uh, and we're going to move on to talking about the uh, the rest of the season. Uh, they've got nine matches remaining. They need to bridge a seven-point gap if they're to finish in the top four. Um, so I suppose first things first, can they, can they do it? I mean, I don't think so. Um... If you're going to want to skew positive, you could say they've got no European football now, so they're only going to be playing one game a week, whereas the certainly uh, Manchester United and Wolves uh, and potentially Chelsea, but probably not, are going to have European football for a little while longer. So maybe the thin, the small squad that Tottenham have got, maybe you can sort of just rally around and get something. It's it's tricky though. It's sort of I don't really know how many what what positives you can cling to. It's it's it always felt a bit like when they hired Mourinho in the, at the time they did that it was more of a sort of a long term appointment and that you had to go and give him six nine months with these players before he could start properly. Um, if anything, we would start bearing fruit. Really, um, if you look at the teams around the Man United are hitting form right now with Bruno Fernandez in particular playing great. Um, Solskjaer seems to have stumbled across a system that um, appears to be sort of working for the the parts he has. Wolves are in great shape as well. And again, that's another team who know exactly what they're doing with a very well-drilled system. They're in great form as well. Chelsea is sort of blow hot and cold, but when they're hot, they're a lot, as they showed a couple of uh, weekends ago, they feel like they're a level above Mm. Tottenham. And they're sort of a a good example of what is possible with a team that's full of injuries. Potentially, they've got a much bigger squad and they've got a uh, a better sort of uh, production line of players coming through. But Lampard's done a great deal with a lot of injuries over the last sort of month or so. Um, and they're still managing to get results with people, with players as good as Kante not in the team. Um, they've sort of tried to skew positive and tried to do, um, try and get the best out of what they've had. Whereas Mourinho has sort of gone the opposite way. Uh, Tony, can you envisage any single scenario in which Levy is forced to take action this season and, and boot Mourinho? Or is that completely off the cards? Um, I, I wouldn't dismiss it. I really wouldn't. Um, I think Mourinho has already started bleating about the weakness of the squad. He's going to want players to be brought in. Now, he'll probably go public with it because he has in the past and Levy doesn't like that sort of thing. You know, the um, the expenditure on the stadium will have an impact on the spending in the summer as will the inability to qualify for the Champions League. So suddenly you've got a perfect storm of unpleasantness there and, well, Mourinho might well be the perfect captain for a, a, a vessel in that situation. Um, but, I'm sure the infighting will break up behind the scenes. In fact, it's going on at a low level now. Players dissatisfied with the manager, the manager dissatisfied with the squad, uh, a 
a, 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 a chairman who is um, who's notorious for dabbling in the transfer market, but at the last moment and doing it on his terms, not the manager's, oh, it's got catastrophe written all over it. It feels as though um, opposition to Levy and to to Enoch, which is obviously the investment group which owns a, a controlling stake of Spurs, is is beginning to grow. Um, we've spoken about Levy before in the podcast. We've gone over the kind of reluctance to sign new players and how we potentially missed out on the window to make Spurs a dominant force. But strictly on the Mourinho issue, do we now think he got that one wrong? I think sort of confirmation or results bias would suggest he did. But as Tony's mentioned today and plenty of times before it was almost like he was left with no choice you couldn't the team it's sort of it's going to get um, washed over perhaps with history now but like the team under Poch wasn't performing where they needed to be the game against Brighton perhaps is like you said what perhaps the only game that's been even worse than some of the performances in the Mourinho it's easy to sort of forget that Spurs weren't anywhere near the level they set last season and in seasons before under Pochettino either so when Poch was let go it wasn't a complete surprise so it's easy to sort of airbrush it out now and say oh they should have kept Poch on but there's no reason to believe necessarily that they'd be doing any better now Mm. but as we've said lots of times before it's a lot easier to sack one man than it is to Mm. sack 11 and the distressing thing for as a for a Tottenham fan now is that you're almost gonna have to do both so you've now got rid of the manager who was your strongest and sort of biggest asset for a good compelling reasons at the time but now because of the sort of the lack of impact Mourinho's had and the change you made you might have to now start getting rid of six seven players now in the summer which is what you could have done anyway add to that the fact that as Tony pointed out you're not going to have in all likelihood not going to have Champions League football it means that it makes that rebuild more difficult in terms of attracting the three or four first team quality players you need as well as then what do I don't expect Harry Kane to push for a move, but the questions will start to get asked about the better players at Tottenham. Mm. They can't not be playing in the Champions League for longer than a season. Um so it's sort of it's a very difficult rebuilding job to do when you're not at the top table. Some of the Man United are finding out. And, now. and it's it's mad that Spurs have been in this exact position. They're in this exact position when Sherwood left. And when Bale left and they had this huge rebuilding project on their hands and then somehow Pochettino was able to kind of achieve that and, and put in place this fantastic squad. And then rather than replace it, replace players as and when, they've just they've just stagnated to the exact same point and they're they're going from, from point zero again. Yeah, and that's all down to Levy. You know, we'll look back at Levy's work in the past what eight transfer windows and you know, you can see that wasn't good enough for a team with the pretensions to be where Tottenham wanted to be and perhaps where Tottenham should have been because of the squad they've got and the squad they had and the, the sort of the the ability and the way and the way uh, Pochettino, the style he got them playing in. Mm. I mean, it, it it is a remarkable fall because, you know, this was when, when Klopp arrived in, you know, 2015, you know, Tottenham looked like the team of the future. They looked like the team that would be doing what Liverpool did. And instead, you know, the, that opportunity has been allowed to slip away. And I certainly wouldn't blame Pochettino for that. I certainly wouldn't blame Mourinho for that because it had nothing to do with him. But Levy is the constant there and it all falls to him in the end. I think my biggest criticism of Levy is that he's obsessed with Hollywood managers. 
right from sort of Glenn Hoddle, who's obviously former England, to Santini, who who came with a lot of hype from France, to Ramos, Redknapp to an extent, and and none of these managers share any common trait. They're all just kind of managers with huge profiles who are plucked from wherever they were, placed at Spurs, and <laughs> and things went wrong pretty quick. Pochettino's the exception to the rule, really. Yeah, which is, I mean, yeah, you, te- you tend to get. Um, particularly with England managers, actually, it's sort of you go, you lurch from one thing to another. So with England, it's you have the the foreign coach who's a, who's a classy operator who understands how to play top-level football. And then when that doesn't work out, you go back to the nuts and bolts English manager because he understands the passion for the shirt. And then you go back to the, oh, well, that doesn't work because it's not sophisticated enough. So you go back to a more classy coach, whatever. It's sort of a, there's been less of that at Tottenham, really. It's sort of, they've been really sort of abstract appointments in that they're yeah like you said the only sort of commonality is that they are quite Hollywood um in many ways I mean it's my maybe it's a bit harsh and I don't think Mourinho's a busted flush I I do believe that he can still do it there's lots of uh worse managers around than him but the one of the few things that's going for him right now in the current sort of climate is that is his name is he is Jose Mourinho of running down the touchdown at Old Trafford but that is now 15 years ago um you would hope that someone in control of a club and company as big as Tottenham isn't blinded by something he saw 15 years ago. But it's given the evidence of what we've seen over the last sort of three months since he was appointed, it's getting harder and harder to disagree with. I, I, on a size issue there, if it does go wrong for Mourinho or Tottenham, where's his next job? It's I mean, got to be national, surely. So, I mean, someone would give him one. You'd imagine that PSG wouldn't be able to help themselves. Because they they're in a similar way they even just, they, they just love it. They've shown sort of the aptitude for something different. The appetite, sorry, for something different with with Tuchel. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's going. I mean, it depends. Well, as we record on Wednesday afternoon, who knows what will happen later yeah. on? Um, I don't foresee that one ending how they want it to go. I mean, it's a different subject, but he seemed a really bizarre appointment because what PSG need is someone who can control egos and. The team itself is more than good enough to win the Champions League. It's just about getting them out there in the right frame of mind. Klopp would be unbelievable for mm. PSG because he'd just get them all flying. Whereas Tuchel, his entire uh, CV up to this point is based off his tactical nous and the fact that he knows how to set a team up, but he's famously not a great man manager. So you throw him in a room with Neymar and Mbappe, it's always going to go the way it's gone. Mm. Mourinho, potentially, I don't know, maybe he could just get the the sort of... I mean, again, he's not he's not proving himself. He's not covered himself in man and management glory of late. But maybe they could sort of maybe they'd be uh, suckered in by the Hollywood name again. Perhaps I don't know. But if Tony's right to point out that the in five years ago, every club in or maybe a bit longer, but certainly over the last decade, most clubs in the world would have taken Mourinho at one point or another. And you could, it's hard to envision a scenario where now we're actually feasibly going through Europe, going well. I'm not sure, really sure. Where I, he get his next job? I'd pay to see Jose and Neymar. That would be <laughs> yeah. brilliant. It's, um, but I, I suspect that um, you know the, the next job for Mourinho would be somewhere like Celtic, and he goes down the Brendan Rodgers route. <laughs> yeah, could, I could see I could see Florentino going again. To be honest, because. Yeah, imagine, so yeah. I mean, I could see yeah. I could see Madrid doing it because yeah. Florentino Definitely. Florentino loves him, and they, he'll believe that our Real special, we can get yeah. the best out of the special one again. I could see that potentially. Last Tottenham question: um, Who <laughs> is the Tottenham Frank Lampard or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or Mikel Arteta? 
Can you can you see any uh, Scott Scott Parker or Ryan Mason <laughs> or Woodgate? Ledley. 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 Ledley's the hero that Spurs fans want and need, isn't he? I think it's uh, he's the sort of if break glass in case of emergency. We need someone the fans will never ever turn Woodgate on at Robbie any Kane other point. Tasty. That'd be nice. I, I think this is one of the, the problems that we've seen in English football. <laughs> what they should be looking out is for the, the Jürgen Klopp or the Pep Guardiola. Nah, give it Woodgate. <laughs> uh, okay, thank you, James. Uh, there's just enough time left for Hero and Villain of the Week. Ben, have you got a hero? Um, I think I'll go for Josip Ilicic, who, in the game that absolutely nobody's watching, <laughs> both literally and figuratively, last night, um, scored four goals um, in an, a hugely entertaining and great to watch Atalanta team and in scoring four goals became the oldest player to score four goals in the Champions League taking a record off Zlatan which I think everyone can get behind so uh, yeah let's go for him and Tony who's your villain? I think the obvious one has got to be the swine coronavirus <laughs> that may interrupt the season. I, I think it's a as a humorous aside that um, you know the Chinese Super League teams have been sort of hiding in Europe to uh, to avoid going back, obviously to to you know the the home country. But um, they've demanded they all go back now, and they've said Chinese safer, China's safer than Europe. <laughs> they've got the disease under control. Europe hasn't, so get back now. <laughs> so it's um, yeah. Uh, it, it, Let's hope it doesn't interrupt football too much, but also let's accept that there are bigger issues than football and it's not a matter of life or death. Thank you. Sadly, that is all we've got time for this week. Be sure to follow Indie Football on social media to keep up to date with everything going on. If you're a new listener, please subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Acast or wherever you listen and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.